Hey, Hopefuls, you're listening to Babes with Hope with your hosts, Jessa, Tash, and Rachel. I'm Jessa. I'm a Potter nerd, history buff, and loving dog mom, and I'm an expert at helping you connect to your intuition and authentic self. And I'm Tash, a fun-loving, adventure-seeking world traveler, and my expertise is in organizational goal-setting. And I'm Rachel. I'm a figure skating, gym-loving Disney nerd, and I'm an expert at helping you uncover your innermost thoughts and emotions so you can discover your inner champion. And together, we're Babes with Hope. Hey there, Hopefuls. Welcome to another episode of Babes with Hope. I'm your host, Jessa, and I'm joined by my other two co-hosts, Rachel and Tash. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. morning. (laughs) So today we're going to dive into something really exciting. And I'm, I'm most excited for the conversation because I feel like we all have different ideas and, um, definitions of this specific topic. Uh, so I feel like it's going to make for a really juicy conversation. Um, So to give you a little bit of a background, I started reading this book called First We Make the Beast Beautiful by Sarah Wilson, and it is a book about how she has um, dealt with anxiety and different research that she's done, Um, and it's a a really great book thus far, Um, but something that she said in the book really prompted me to bring this topic to the girls and be like, I think this is something that we need to talk about, um, which is happiness as a destination. So in the book, she, uh, and it's just like one paragraph of this chapter that I was reading, she was talking about how she has always considered happiness as a destination. And I think it was maybe the Dalai Lama or somebody like that, that she was talking to that kind of forced her perspective in a new direction where happiness is not the destination, but just a part of the journey. So it's not this final thing that you're going to achieve, but this thing that you happen to get to experience along the journey of life. And the reason that I found that so profound and um, really like hit close to home is because I myself has struggled for pretty much as long as I've been aware of my (laughs) own inner struggles that I have always seen happiness as the destination. You know, like once I you know, get to this career or this idea, you know, I follow through on this idea and succeed with it, or, um, I don't know, whatever it is, I will be happy. And then my life can begin. Um, and so I wanted to bring that to the girls to hear what everybody else's kind of idea is with this. And as we were kind of, you know, chit-chatting about it a little bit yesterday, like our like different ideas and definitions of happiness are so different. And so I'm just like, yeah, so excited to dive into this today. Um, do either one of you guys want to kind of like jump off on, jump sure. off, off? Yeah. On how you feel about <laughs> Definitely. that? Definitely. So I think that Jessa, you're not alone. Like a lot of people see that happiness is like the end goal, the end destination, 
once I'm happy, like then life will be better. And Mm -hmm. I really don't think that you are alone in thinking that also my experience and my perspective is much different than yours. Um, I can't wait to dive in, but yeah, I just want to say that, you know, whether you see happiness as a state of being or happiness as the end destination, like neither is wrong, neither is right. It is just a matter of awareness and Mm -hmm. like how you use that information of emotions to like respond basically. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I can absolutely relate. I don't think I consciously was aware that I was prolonging happiness or putting it off. Yet I definitely had like a destination addiction. Like, okay, I need to get to this next phase of my life. I need to get to this next accomplishment. I need to do more. And then I would get there and be like, cool, celebrate for two seconds. What's next? I need to get to that next thing. I need to do the next awesomeness. And I can relate to that for sure of just what I struggled with was destination addiction. I don't, in kind of reflecting about this topic, I'm like, I don't know that I consciously thought I'm prolonging my happiness, yet Mm -hmm. I always felt like when I get to the next place, I will, I will have quote unquote arrived. I'll be there, wherever there is, I'll be there. And then Mm -hmm. I'd get to that next place and be like, cool, what? this isn't the there that I had in my imagination. So now I need to reset the standard of what quote unquote there means. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was destination addiction. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I still, I still struggle like now, even like with this awareness of what the thing is, it's difficult to rewire that idea of happiness being so for me it is happiness I I definitely relate to like the destination um what'd you say destination destination addiction I love Mm -hmm. that first of all um and yeah that's that's coupled with my happiness and I feel like the well there's many reasons why that has proved to be such an issue but I feel like one of the main reasons is that because because I'm always seeing happiness as something that's like in my future and not right now I'm not allowing myself to literally live and enjoy the life that I have right now and I feel like that in and of itself as a concept is really relatable in the sense that like we so especially in like our like Western civilization, we're constantly going, going, going. And I relate so much to what you were saying, Rach, about like, yeah, you celebrate for two seconds. Like, I don't know every time that I have succeeded at something or like finished or accomplished something. I don't know that I've ever let myself sit and like enjoy, enjoy that moment. I don't even know how to do that really. (laughs) Like I can't even like think about that until you're because I'm just immediately on to the next thing um Mm -hmm. which I think is really common I mean even now the term of like celebration to me I learned that in life coaching and then was able to realize that even then I was still only celebrating for like a second Mm -hmm. like shake my butt woo now what's next (laughs) yeah instead of just allowing myself to look backward and be like, wow, what an amazing journey it's been. I'm so excited for myself. I'm so happy. I'm going to enjoy this. Um, and instead looking ahead and being like, okay, 
now I need to continue to do something more and better and greater. And it's, I, we talked about this a little bit yesterday in private conversation, but I think a lot of that is my personality type. Um, as far as I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm definitely the achiever. And that's something that's stereotypical for our personality type of like, what's next, what's next, what's next. And then becoming aware of that and being like, Ooh, what can I do to change my mindset here? So I can breathe celebrate, um, be present where I'm at. And that is something I'm definitely growing in. And I think it completely relates to this happiness conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not only your personality type. We have been conditioned as society to like continue, like what's next, what's next. Mm -hmm. Oh, you hit that. Like, it's not enough. Like you have to go farther. And so this like endless, accumulation of wealth endless accumulation of quote-unquote happiness like whatever it is like we have been conditioned as a society to believe one thing and part of like rewiring your neural pathways is kind of focusing on this realizing the awareness of happiness is not the destination it is the state of being and so once we can kind of break down those conditionings we can become more aware and in the present moment, that's where happiness is. Happiness is not something that you can go towards. It's literally the moment in time. So what are you feeling right now? And that is a mic drop. Boom. Mic drop. (laughs) I was going to say it if you didn't. I was like, boom. (laughs) That's amazing, Tash. Yeah. That's awesome awareness. I'm like super giddy about this topic. I have done some, a lot of actually kind of research and studying throughout my university degrees on this topic of happiness. I've looked at it from a sociological lens. I've looked at it from an anthropological lens. And so these two different lenses put together, like I've done research on like how happiness is created and sustained also coming from studying different types of people and cultures and ways of thinking how is happiness seen around the world and it's not necessarily here in the west it's like you're chasing it I feel like we've been conditioned to chase happiness where that's not necessarily the case for people all over the world so I think it's just very interesting and I'm like super giddy about this topic (laughs) yeah So Tash, I have a question for you as we dive deeper into like our individual definitions of happiness. Have you always had that awareness of I'm happy where I'm at in the present moment? Or was that a new learning that you kind of received and absorbed through university study? Mm -hmm. So when Jessa asked us this yesterday, I had to really think hard about what has my happiness looked like since a child and I feel like I have been raised in a way to recognize my state of being when I'm happy and the activities I'm doing while I'm doing that. So for me, a lot of the time when I'm younger, I remember being happy like outdoors and seeing like beautiful scenery. I grew up in the mountains. Sorry, that was my laundry going off if you can hear that. (laughs) Yeah, like what is that? It's going to go off one more time. So sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I grew up in the mountains being in nature like that really made me feel happy. And 
growing up, I never really, like this gets into personality types as well. I'm an Enneagram seven. So that is really like the adventurer and uh, like the entertainer. And when I'm feeling most happy is like, I'm doing the activities. And I never really saw happiness as like that thing that I have to go get. If I was feeling down or sad or anything, like I recognized it as a state of being. And I thought to myself, what can I do that will make me happy? And usually, you know, it's like, now it's like reading a book, going in nature, taking some time to meditate, watching my favorite TV show, like talking to my friends, whatever it is. I never, I really, really had to think hard about if I ever thought um, happiness was a destination. And the only time I felt like I was losing that hope around happiness is when I would experience seasonal depression. And so I have experienced like these times in my life where I have lacked that awareness of recognizing, oh, I can choose my state of happiness. Mm -hmm. And it gets harder, you know, the deeper you get into it, into depression and anxiety, but there is a choice and there is a new state. And just knowing that is powerful itself. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, sure you, you absolutely answered, <laughs> answered the question because, you know, we were talking about is happiness a destination and if it isn't, what is it? And so we kind of discussed this a little bit yesterday and I was curious to know if it was never a destination for you and always a state of being or if that was a new learning, but it sounds like that's kind of always been your perspective. Yeah, I think it has been always my perspective and it was reinforced throughout my post-secondary education, just saying like with the different classes and studying like different ways to be happy, what affects happiness, uh, it was just reinforced that it is a state of being and not kind of like this like fairy land of rainbows and butterflies <laughs> and magic unicorns mm -hmm. <laughs> although that would be pretty freaking awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I actually have a question for both of you because yes. yeah this it's the topic that I brought up and it's just like eluding me the idea that you both feel and maybe you can just explain this to me a little bit more um the thing that I get caught up in is like what then is your driving force of accomplishment and success and like moving forward um, if it's not happiness. So like I said, for me, and I, this is not healthy, like <laughs> I definitely mm -hmm. know that about myself, but like mm -hmm. for me, my brain is wired to be like, cool, I will use this podcast as, as an example. When we reach so many different people. And I don't know if we eventually monetize the podcast, make money off of it, whatever, then I'll be happy because I will have, you know, successfully done something. We created a business, we're making money off of it, whatever, then I'll be happy. I'll feel like I have arrived in my life. Um, and it sounds like that's a totally different concept. Um, even though you have uh, experience that before reach. I don't know. Yeah. Just yeah. if you could explain that. Yeah. To me. 
I would love to. So I have shifted my perspective because that very much was my perspective. And I don't even know if I was conscious of it. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm like, well, what? I'll be happy when this yet unconsciously. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can relate to that. Like when I have this amount of followers on Instagram, then I'll be quote unquote successful. When I have this many clients, I'll be quote unquote successful. When I have this number in my bank account, I'll be quote unquote successful. And that's Mm -hmm. just in business. That's not even talking about like what I felt in my relationship. When we get to this stage, I'll be, we'll be, you know, where we're supposed to be or whatever. So that very much was my mindset. And then one time I actually was listening to a podcast by Joyce Meyer And I I can't remember which exact episode it was. I'll try and find it for the show notes. She was talking about like the danger of that and how she struggled with that in the very beginning because she is a ministry. And in the very beginning, her ministry was very small. She had like 50 people. Mm. And she was like, well, when I get to, you know, a thousand and then she got to a thousand and she's like, well, when I get to 2000, well, when I get to 50,000, well, when I get to a hundred thousand. And she said, finally, she just kind of realized that she was never seeing the people that she was reaching because Mm -hmm. she was always wanting to reach more Mm -hmm. and how that just really took a toll on her perspective and her joy in doing the ministry. And that she was like, she had this kind of moment of awakening where she realized I'm just not even grateful for all the people that are here because I'm constantly needing it to be bigger and better and this and that. Um, and when I heard that podcast, it's like, it hit me right in between the eyes. And I was like, Whoa, she's talking to me because I do the exact same thing in my business that she's doing in her ministry. And yeah, who cares if I've got five people listening to me, it's five people that could have the opportunity to hear something in a new way and make a change. And you never know the ripple effect of those five people going home differently and treating their family different and their kids different. And then they show up different and then their kids show up different. And then it ripples outward. So once I took on that, that was the first time I ever even considered that it wasn't a destination and that I was missing out on the opportunity to be grateful where I was at. And once I realized that I was like, Oh yes. If I am always putting my, quote unquote, success or happiness in the next level, there's going to be a million levels of life that I go through and I'm going to be missing out on being happy and grateful the whole entire time. Um, And then I really adopted this mindset that's more life is a journey and whatever season you're in is the season that you're in. And there's no real final destination other than living season to season to season and impacting the people that are in your circle at that moment. And for me, that has brought me happiness. I don't know that I was seeking it for the purpose of happiness, but I was seeking it for the purpose of I am enough and this is enough and it is what it is meant to be right now. And once I adopted that, I, I instantly was happier because I could just release the fact that I needed to be working towards something all the time. For sure. And so how do you in like in that moment where you're feeling gratitude and you're feeling like this is enough and I'm happy where I'm at, 
where does then drive and determination motivation for anything more, whether that be the next level of your business or whatever, like, where does that fit in? It literally just doesn't mm-hmm. make sense in my brain. Cause it's all, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. all this one thing. Yeah, Are you I guys mean, so excited? I'm getting so excited. so excited. No, I just had a light bulb <laughs> moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, I get to talk about coaching for a second. Yay. And I don't know what you're thinking, Tash, but I was thinking towards and away from, is that what you were thinking? Um, I was actually thinking about thoughts and emotions, how they're not facts. Yes. Okay. So, um, you want me to go first and yeah, you go first. Okay. So I'm going to explain to our audience what towards and away from in NLP and coaching language means. So, what I was doing previously that motivated me to get more and get more and get more and get more was coming from an energy of away from away from is the stick. It is the pain that is motivating you. For example, I'm not enough, or this isn't enough. That's pain. That's the driving force. I don't have enough money. I don't feel good enough about myself. I'm not worthy, whatever you're free from all of that. That's the Mm -hmm. stick that's beating you and wanting to propel you and motivate you away from that. That's why it's called away from. You're moving away from the stick and the pain because you might not even see what's what you're moving toward. You just want to get away from the pain. When you're moving toward something, you have a very clear picture of what you do want. I want to create a podcast so that I can reach more people. Um, And it's not that my that I'm trying to run away from the stick or that I'm not happy where I am. It's just that I'm motivated towards that next picture of impact. And I, what the things that I want, the things that I'm moving toward. So really quickly, I'll do a quick analogy. If there's two people that have the same exact goal around fitness and one, and they both, let's say they both want to lose 15 pounds and the one person has away from motivation. They're going to, their language is going to sound like I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of my pants, not fitting. I'm sick and tired of waking up lethargic. Um, I, I lack confidence. When I look in the mirror, I feel discouraged. When I go to the gym, I feel like I don't fit in. I've got to lose 15 pounds because I'm sick of this. The other person who's towards is like, you know, I really just want to be healthier and more vibrant. I want to have more energy. I want to be able to fit into that new dress that I saw online. I want to be able to do a couple pull-ups. I want to wake up with more energy and more vibrance. I want to live longer. I want to be able to pick children up and it not hurt my back. They want things versus the other person doesn't want things. When they both go to the gym, there's a different energy. The away from person might get there and be like, I don't fit in here. I don't like this. I hate every second of it, but I have to do it to get away from this. The toward person goes and is like, oh my gosh, new friends, a new environment that I can put my heart and soul into. This is a fun new activity for me. I love it. I'm excited to get to my end result. Who's more likely going to quit? The away from person because it's painful. The toward person isn't sitting in the pain and they're just excited about the end goal. So they're going to keep going. And then let's say they both happen to stick it out, including the away from motivated person. Once the away from motivated person hits their goal, there is no new goal. They've hit it. They've gotten away from the pain. 
oftentimes they'll stop going to the gym because they hated it the whole time and it was horrible. And so they're like, I'm done. Hit my goal. I'm out. Peace. (laughs) And moonwalk out of here. And then they go backward because they're not motivated until they feel that pain again. The toward person is like, this was awesome. This was so fun. It's time for me to set a new goal and work towards something new. So to answer your question in a very long winded answer, Jessa, I was previously motivated by away from. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. This isn't success. Da, 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 da. Negative energy versus now I'm like where I'm at's great and I love it. And I'm excited to see what's next. For sure. That totally makes sense. And it's so funny because like personally, I'll go through different things, like times where I'm like, oh yeah, I, I totally am like conscious of all of these like coaching verbiage and different like mod, um, module, what are they called? Um, Presuppositions? Think whatever, (laughs) whatever they are, these different things that I'm like, are rolling around in my head. And I'm like, oh yeah. And I can at that moment be consciously aware of like, oh, this thought or this motivator is a towards or in a way. And then, you know, you go through seasons. Like I feel like I'm at right now where I'm just like, I have lost every single bit of helpful, useful information in my head. And I'm just like drowning in the, in those away froms, you know? Um, so thank you for saying that, uh, because yeah, that is, that is really helpful. And also like for me personally, I specifically with, um, working out and stuff like that, I am like the ultimate yo-yo dieter, whatever, for that very reason where I will start something and, um, for the reason of like, I don't, I want to lose 20 pounds or whatever, because I feel fat and gross or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then I lose that 20 pounds. And this has happened. I kid you not at least once a year, every single year in my twenties, like this Mm -hmm. has been a long cycle where I lose that weight. And then I'm like, okay, cool. You know, like my, my clothes fit and I'm looking cute in my clothes and whatever. And I just don't really care to like continue this. And then what happens, you know, four months later is that I'm right back where I was. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And just before we pass it off to Tasha, I do want to say for people that are listening and they're like, what do I do if I'm the away from motivated person? Um, Can I control that? Can I fix that? What do I do here? So a lot of times when we're away from motivated, it's coming from a limiting decision. Limiting decision is just NLP language for a limiting belief that's at the deepest root level. So limiting belief, limiting decision, I use that language interchangeably. But if we're talking about where we're motivated away from, I'll take myself, for example, if we were to peel back the layers and the layers and the layers and the layers of Why did I need a larger audience? Why did I need more money in my bank account? For me personally, and this is a totally vulnerable share of where I was at three years ago, I felt that I had to prove myself. I felt like um, people are not going to see my value or see my worth unless I prove myself. That's a limiting decision. When did I decide I have to prove myself? So clean up the limiting decision with your life coach, take that limiting decision away, 
rip it out of the brain neurology. And then you don't have to consciously think I need to be toward, I need to be toward, I need to be toward. It'll just happen unconsciously because you're no longer moving away. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to like recognize that even though you are motivated from an away from place, you can still experience happiness. Like happiness Mm -hmm. is not this like exclusive state Mm -hmm. of being for those who are motivated towards their goals. No, Mm -hmm. happiness, you can feel that even if you're in an away from state. And I think that for me is like when you were asking, like when we're going for our goals and like, how do we stay motivated and consistent and determined? It's for me is just recognizing that, yes, I can experience like momentary experiences of happiness and I guess the ultimate goal is having a continued state of happiness. Mm -hmm. So although you can experience a state for a time, having that extended and prolonged is the ultimate goal. So I found it very interesting that actually people who have, they've um, in the last 15 to 20 years, there has been a lot of new studies coming out around kind of happiness and the brain neurology and all these different effects of being present and aware. And actually what they found is that people who have higher activity in their right frontal lobe are associated with emotions like love and compassion and happiness, where the right, the other side of the brain um, is the fear, the scared, all those other negative emotions. So the more that you practice your happiness, love, compassion for yourself and others, the stronger those brain neural neurological connections, they, the stronger they are, the more connected they are. And the potential for your continued state of happiness is greater. So it's like, I don't know, th- this example, what I was kind of thinking before Rachel started speaking is that your thoughts and emotions are not facts, mm-hmm. right? So say, for example, something happens and somebody jumps out from behind the corner and goes, boo. Mm-hmm. And your instant response is like a gasp or like a jump or like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and so that is like a fear response where that initial response is because the neurological patterns in your uh, side of the brain where the fear and the negativity and the stress live is stronger than the other side of your brain. Mm. And so your initial reaction is based on what is the strongest neurological patterns happening in your brain. And so I'm like blowing Jess's mind. I feel like no, it's like just, it's actually this like example is so funny because I am the easiest scared person in the world. All of my, every single one of my roommates that I have ever had has found so much joy in jumping out from around the corner and scaring me. And it works. And I will like be like, I mean, I don't want to do it. I'm going to blow out the microphone, but like scream. (laughs) And it's, I've always kind of thought that it was because like I focus so much on what I'm doing, but 
it also might be because of exactly what you're talking about right now that my fear side of my brain is so much bigger that that's just like my natural response. So I'm like, yes, you are blowing my mind because this is this example that you chose was just like me. Yeah. So basically the point is like this reaction that the fear side of your brain creates is not a fact. It's just like an instant reaction based on like our history as human beings and how we've had to have that kind of fight or flight response in, you know, oh shit, that food is poisonous, or there's a big animal there that I should probably run away from. So this like conditioning has been in us. And I just think that it's like so fascinating. And so when you have that instant reaction to the fear, and then you're like, oh wait, actually I don't have to be afraid because you were just jumping out from around the corner and saying boo. So it's, it's like a moment where that moment doesn't have to last. And so the fear moment, the love, the compassion moment, it's one side of each brain or one brain, two sides. <laughs> I got you. I follow that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you, Tash, because yeah. I know people are wondering, like, if I'm the fear heavy person that is really just responding automatically all the time from the fear response, what are some things that people can do to grow their right frontal lobe neurology? Yeah. So that is a really great question. And it kind of comes into what we were speaking about a couple episodes back when we were discussing the idea of cause and effect and how you have to pause to get to cause. And so when you take this time to meditate, to pray, to just sit in the experience of life, this is where you can show yourself love and compassion and start to grow the side of your brain. The left frontal lobe is where the love and compassion and joy and confidence, um, those are those emotions stimulating. So when you're practicing gratitude, compassion for others, compassion for yourself, um, this is when these neurological connections are growing stronger and stronger. For sure. And there's also, and it was there, did you have any more? Like I have an example from the book. Okay. Um, in the book the, that I'm reading the first, we make the beast beautiful. She had an awesome example of, um, she has OCD and she struggles throughout the night has for most of her life for thinking well, I'm, several different things. But the example that she gave was thinking that there's a monster under her bed. And so part of her insomnia and OCD that she deals with is that she would force herself to get up out of bed to check under her bed, which, you know, when you are dealing with insomnia or like trying to go back to sleep, like getting up out of bed is kind of the opposite effect of what you're wanting to do. So it really like hindered, um, her, like trying to go back to sleep. So when she became aware of, um, kind of what you're talking about, Tash, which is rewiring your neural pathways, creating a new pathway. So the pathway that she was on was she is dealing with insomnia. She feels like there's a monster under her bed. She needs to get up and look under the bed. Right. And so that's the pathway that she's like 
um, created in her mind for years. The like to, <clears throat> what am I trying to say? In order to create another neural pathway, she had to ask herself, what does she want instead? So she, what she wants instead is to say, like, there's no monster under the bed and stay in bed. Like, and let that be like the first step of the thing. Like, no, you don't need to get up out of bed. And so when she, after she figured that out and she tried it for the first time, it was really hard. She's, I think she's did like 10 seconds or something like that. I don't know. I'd have to re go back to the book, but each time she tried longer and longer and longer. And each time it was forming more of that new neural pathway of like, no, this is actually the action that we take when we feel this way. Um, and I feel like that's can be pertained to any sort of thing. So mm -hmm. I don't know, say, so I'm, I'm sorry. So insane. I know it's, it's really crazy. It was only a couple of years ago that I really started hearing that there were ways that you can change, like your brain is like plastic that can be molded, you know, like you can like, um, like clay, like you can remold it in different ways that you want to. And that is insane to me. Um, and so, yeah, so yeah, say that I wanted to, I, I get midday at two o'clock and I'm feeling like a craving for snack food. And I always go and get a cookie at 2 p.m. Well, then that cookie doesn't make me feel good and I'm eating sugar halfway through the day and it doesn't help me stay awake for the rest of the day. And I decide, well, that cookie is not actually what I want. I wanna drink water instead. I'm gonna drink half of my water bottle instead. Do like at that point, you have to be aware of the trigger right at 2 p.m and you're like oh no i need to stop that action and i need to grab my water instead so it takes that effort you know mm -hmm. to change that course to pattern interrupt um mm -hmm. and grab the water instead but each time that you do that it starts building and building and building and building that yeah. different pattern yes i love it and you can do this like you can do a pattern interrupt literally at any time for yourself and you can learn to do it with other people. So like, if I know my husband's triggers that get him to spiral, um, literally a pattern interrupt could be like, do you smell up dog? And he'd be like, what? And it snaps him. It pattern interrupts him so that that downward spiral is literally just cut off because is the, the neuro pathways that are about to be triggered just got interrupted. And you can do that for anything like, for me, it was Starbucks. I, I still love Starbucks. Woo, Starbucks. But for me, it was uh, an away from, and I went every single day. I would just end up there and I'd be like, is this the best decision for me <laughs> every day I'm here? And so on the way to work, instead of just mindlessly driving, right, I had a pattern interrupt and be like, okay, well, what do I want instead? I want more money in my bank account. I want to be healthier. I want to make a different decision. I'm going to drive straight. And it feels conscious at first while you're interrupting that it's mm -hmm. like, um, what do you call that? Like when there's a root that's been ground into the ground, like a pathway that's been just in the deep rooted dirt, it's there, right? It's like a deep ditch. You have to build a new pathway that feels super shallow at first 
and you have to consciously get out of the root and get out into a new path. And then eventually that becomes the deeper path that just happens mm-hmm. automatically and you no longer need the conscious pattern interrupt. Yeah. So imagine like a farmer in his field with his tractor for weeks and weeks and weeks. He's traveled this same path, the same dirt road, and then it rains and it rains again. And the path that he's traveling just keeps deeper and deeper into the ground. These uh, grooves, these ruts, these this path that he's following, it's harder and harder the more he continues to go on. But if he just shifts his steering wheel a little bit, he's going to find a whole new path, a path that's easier, a path that is no longer like getting him stuck. Um, I think that's the analogy you were going for, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't think of like, what is that called? A groove. I couldn't yeah. think of the word. It was eluding <laughs> me. A groove in the dirt. And then you have to make a new one, a new yeah. groove that becomes an automatic. For sure. So to wrap this back to happiness, I feel like for me personally, since this was like the topic that I like wanted to, to bring to the table, I feel like the pattern interrupt, the what do I want instead is instead, like when I feel like I need to, I mean, and this is like kind of a much bigger issue, but when I am like, okay, this thing, this career, this move, this relationship, this whatever is going to bring me happiness. I feel like my pattern interrupt at that moment can be like, and what is happiness in this moment? You know, like, what can I be grateful for? in this moment. Um, and I don't know if we want to talk quickly about gratitude. Mm -hmm. Do we want to do a quick little thing on that? Yeah, that would actually be my inspired action step for people. Um, when we're talking about growing their brain neurology is meditation and gratitude. Mm -hmm. So yes, let's dive into that. Yes. Meditation. Mm -hmm. There are actually new studies that have shown people who have been trained to meditate actually perform better at perform. They don't perform better. Scratch that. (laughs) (laughs) People who have been trained to meditate actually have more connections in their frontal lobe where the love and compassion and joy stand. And it also improves your physical being. These people also have like higher immune systems and like they don't have the need for like flu shots and all these other things because their influenza is higher. And I'm just like blown away. Like this actually blew my mind. I was like, what the frig? Like happier people are healthier people. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to like what kind of we were talking about at the beginning is it's a state of being not a trait. So You know, when you go to say Starbucks and you have a barista who is like rude to you, like yells at you and you think like, oh, that person is so like, he's yelling at me because he's a jerk. Like, no, that is not the fact that is he is not a trait that he has is yelling, being a jerk. It's his state of being at the moment. You don't know what happened or what caused him to get to that state, but it is just a state and not a trait. And same goes for happiness is like your happiness is a state of being and not like something, a personality trait that you can trait yourself with. 
Yeah, exactly. I love that. And so meditation is helpful in helping us grow our brain and grow our neuropathways and grow our gratitude, which, you know, we were talking about yesterday is like, I know, Jessa, you were talking about even growing in the understanding of what is gratitude. How do you hold it? What is it? And um, would you like to share like what we were kind of talking about yesterday with your gratitude experiences? Yeah, for sure. So I have heard about gratitude forever. Um, Like literally since I was a kid, that was kind of my dad's main you know, life call was gratitude. And I never understood it. Like I never could grasp the concept of gratitude because I was like, what am I, like, who am I thanking for waking up in the morning? I don't understand who am I being thankful to? Why am I being thankful for waking up? I'm a human being. That's what we do, right? We wake up. I mean, if you're lucky, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're, you don't really think about those things. Cause it just happens. It just is. Why am I being thankful for breathing? My body was created to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was one moment a couple of years ago, um, that I, had been going to a gym. It was like a season where I was actually doing the workouts <laughs> and, uh, I had been going to a, the gym for probably like six months at that time. It would, had become like a regular, uh, habit for me. And I ended up getting like a planter's wart on the bottom of my foot that needed to be like re- surgically removed. And so, when I had that removed, I couldn't walk, much less go to the gym for like three weeks. And when I stepped back into the gym that first day, it was literally like, I don't know, a meteor had hit me. And I was like, oh my God, this is what gratitude is. I am so grateful for the fact that I can walk and go to the gym. It wasn't necessarily like go to the gym. It was more like, I'm so grateful that my foot works. I'm so grateful that I can just walk. I'm so grateful that I have the strength to go to the gym and do this thing that I want to do. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, it was like my whole entire world changed because I was able to comprehend that concept of gratitude. And then from there on out, I'm like, okay, cool. I understand why I'm grateful that I am breathing, that I can breathe without, I mean, even take in today's, you know, world that I can breathe and I don't have COVID and I don't, and I don't have to breathe with a respirator, you know, like, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, I will sit in bed with my dog and just be like, I'm so grateful for this animal that is my like life companion right now, you know, like, and that she's just so lovely and cute. And I mean, I could go on forever about her, but (laughs) anyway, (laughs) that was my, my little hit with gratitude. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting topic. It's funny. I'm going to be the one to bring this up. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say like, it's interesting because you bring up a really, I think, interesting point just of like, if you're not thanking someone, how do you do gratitude? And that's something that I, in my brain, I don't get. And I don't know because I do believe in a higher power. And so I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's where I'm coming from when I do gratitude. And it's so interesting that you're in a different worldview and have a different perspective. And 
I honor that and respect it. And it is very curious to me of like, yeah, what does gratitude look like if you're not thanking a higher power or grateful for God or whatever it is that you call it? Um, and you know, that universe, some people call it the universe. I call it God, that thing that's out there. Um, and I know we've discussed before that we have different perspectives and I think that's really just an interesting, interesting perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I struggled with that too, because of the fact that, um, I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm spiritual, but I don't believe in like a God figure, I guess. Um, and so to have that thing to thank, to mm-hmm. be grateful to, I think was even more of a reason. And also I think a little bit of like bitterness and resentment on my side, long story short, I was raised Catholic, didn't believe in it. So I kind of like left that. And so I've always kind of held that, that bitterness and resentment of like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean that you're grateful to this thing that I don't believe exists? You know, I just, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it was so lovely for me in that moment to like realize that, oh, you don't have to have some sort of whatever religious spiritual belief to be thankful for being alive to be thankful for this moment for what you have and to kind of bring that full circle the moments that i do experience happiness that don't equate to i will have it when are those moments when I can sit and be grateful. Um, and, and I've also had to, you know, like when I'm having a good day, I've had to sit and be like, oh, let's look at this and be grateful for it. It's, it's still that habit building. And so I'm still very much in that like conscious action type thing. So I'm like, cool, when this is happening, I need to sit and be grateful because that is the way that I feel happiness now. Yeah. Yeah, Boom. grateful people are happy people. Um, have you guys seen Legally Blonde? <laughs> uh, who hasn't? Uh, <laughs> duh. Uh, what is uh. the exact quote? I might get it wrong. When she's like, um, people who work out have endorphins. Endorphins make people happy. And happy people just don't just kill, don't their, kill husbands. their husbands. They yes. just don't. <laughs> they just don't. They just don't. Well, it's so true because like gratitude and anger cannot coincide and coexist at the same time. So when you're being grateful and full of gratitude for life, um, just like for the life experiences that you get to have, like even just being alive as a human being, like just being grateful for that. Like imagine you were born on there as a worm. What can you be grateful about? (laughs) But we're born as freaking humans. And like, this is a human experience. It's so freaking wonderful and magical. And if you can't find anything to be grateful for, just be grateful for the breath of life because breathing gives you fuel and life. And I just am like cracking up so bad. I'm like, so visual. And I was just like imagining I was a worm for a second because you told me to. And I was like, what's happening? What was that like for you? I was like imagining myself in the dirt, just like literally being grateful for like, um, um, this dirt is so good. And I couldn't stop laughing because it's so ridiculous. Oh my 
my gosh, that's so funny. And I think like when we can just be grateful for the experience, like because it's not only the good things that we can be grateful for, we can also be good grateful for the bad things that happen, the things that test us, that challenge us, that force us to grow into the person that we are meant to be. And I think that for me growing up, like gratitude was kind of always a part of growing up and it was always reinforced to me that I have something that others wish they had. Mm -hmm. And so just knowing that, like, even if it's clean drinking water, if it's a roof over my head, if it's shoes that don't have holes in them, whatever it is that I have, somebody wishes that they had that. And to be grateful for what I have is the ultimate life experience. And yeah, that's all I got. I love it. I I love this episode. This is like bringing me life and joy. I hope you guys feel the same way. Um, I do too. Yeah. I want to just do really quickly tell people about happiness being a state and then allowing them to get to that state easily and effortlessly. This is something called state elicitation, and you can really use it for any emotion that you want to, but today we're going to do happiness. Um, And so what I want you to do, you're just going to follow along. If you want to keep your eyes open or close your eyes, either way, just follow along. Can you remember a time when you were totally happy? Can you remember a specific time when you were totally happy? Go back to that time, float down into your body, see what you saw, hear what you heard, and feel all the feelings of feeling totally happy. (sighs) Who feels happy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is so state elicitation. You, because happiness is a state, you can't put it in a bucket, right? You can't hold it in your hands. It's a state. So you can use state elicitation for any memory of an emotion that you've had in the past that you want. Just remember feeling joyful. Remember feeling excited. Remember feeling like anything is possible. When you go back to those memories on your own life timeline, you can tap into that emotion immediately. And, um, and so I'd like to leave everyone with the inspired action steps that we kind of covered throughout today's episode and give them to you in order succinctly. So the first one came from Tash and she said, pause to get to cause. I'm so impressed with you right now. I took notes during our episode for everybody. Okay. Sorry. Continue. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So the first one is pause to get to cause. Make sure you are coming from a place of creativity and empowerment. Number two came from Jessa pattern interrupt pause and ask yourself, what do I really want? What do I want instead? The third one came from me and Tash meditate, grow your brain neurology through quiet meditation. Gratitude was number four practice gratitude. What does that look like? What does that sound like? And what does that feel like? And Jessa gave us a great example of feeling gratitude. And then our last one, state elicitation. Practice state elicitation as many times a day as you want to, to get into a specific state, emotional state that you want to, whether that be joy or happiness or peace or calm, excitement, 
even gratitude times in your life when you've been thankful before. And if you want to read the book that Jessa recommends, Jessa, what's the name of the book one more time? It is called First We Make the Beast Beautiful by Sarah Wilson. Awesome. And the other book that I was referring to during today's episode is called The Joy of Living, Unlocking the Secret and Science of Happiness. And I'm very sorry to pronounce this name wrong, but it's by Yongyi Mingyu Ripochin. We'll type it out in the show. Yes. <laughs> all right everybody well thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of babes with hope we love you so much and we're excited to practice gratitude and meditation with you this week and we will see you next week bye bye thanks for listening to this week's episode of babes with hope if you enjoyed today's episode please share it with a friend And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, or if you're looking to get involved in one of our coaching programs, you can reach us directly at babeswithhope.com. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.